Amen. All right, well, wonderful, wonderful celebration of Christmas with Christmas music as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And I'm delighted that you're here with us this morning. I pray it bless you. The children are wonderful uh, to see them participate. And I appreciate all those who work with the children. You know, you're probably aware working with the children is a little more challenging than the adults, just a little bit. I don't know. Maybe it's a close call. I'm not sure. But uh, but keeping uh, them interested and plugged in, and uh, they do such a good job of that. So I appreciate those ministries, certainly. We'll take your Bible this morning and go to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Last week, we began our Christmas series by looking at a birth announcement. It was the first, if you will, uh, revelation of God, direct revelation of God in 400 years. Malachi was the last prophet in the Old Testament that God had spoken to Israel through. And then the intertestamental period, 400 years between Malachi and Matthew when we pick up in the New Testament. Well, that, that 400 years was uh, broken by God sending a message through the angel Gabriel to a a priest named Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. You'll remember from last week, uh, God gave an announcement that they were going to have a child. Now that announcement uh, was important for several reasons. Let me just remind you of a few. First of all, it was, again, the breaking of that 400-year silence. God was uh, beginning to bring to fruition his plan of salvation by sending the Savior into the world. And an opening an age of grace, the church age that we've enjoyed for the last couple thousand years, where God would send the gospel to the whole world, uh, using Israel to be the, the instrument, if you will, for the Savior to be born. And this announcement uh, to Zacharias and Elizabeth was that they would have a child. And that was important for them because they had been childless their whole life. Elizabeth had been barren, and God supernaturally uh, enabled her to have a child. And and so Zacharias and Elizabeth had a, a baby boy, and God said that boy's name would be John, and that he would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Uh, he would be the one who would go and prepare the people, prepare Israel for their Savior, their Messiah to come. And, and the Bible says John was filled with the Spirit from birth, uh, and that he turned many hearts towards the Lord. So that very first birth announcement was quite, uh, quite uh, the, the event. Gabriel, an angel, came to make the announcement. Well, in our passage this morning, we have a second birth announcement within six months. Uh, when Elizabeth found out that she was going to be with child, of course, uh, God sent uh, Gabriel, the same angel, to a young lady named Mary to inform her that she had been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah, to be the one through whom Christ would come into the world. So pick up our passage in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1 as uh, the angel Gabriel shows up to tell Mary that God has chosen her to have the Messiah. Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now let's begin thinking about this event. It's well known. It's Christmas. You've heard this passage read uh, probably numerous times, if not hundreds of times. What's so special about this passage? Well, let's think about Mary for a moment. Who is this young lady that God sovereignly chose to, 
be the human instrument through whom Christ would come into the world. Well, the first thing it tells us is she's of the house of David. Now, that's important. God, uh, God, God checks every block, if you will. God knows everything that needs to come into order, and God brings it that way. She's of the house of David. That means that she's a descendant of King David. In that day, the Davidic throne didn't have a monarch on it because the Romans ruled. But in tracking their lineage, she was in the line of David. In fact, Joseph, her betrothed spouse, betrothal in that day lasted for a year. She was betrothed or engaged to be married to this man named Joseph. We find out when we read the genealogies that both Joseph and Mary were of the lineage of David. Joseph was of the lineage of David through Solomon. Mary was of the lineage of David through Nathan, his other son. So what we find here is God picked this young lady, sovereignly chose this young lady who's betrothed to a man who's of the line of David, and she's of the line of David, thus fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament that a son of David, one of his lineage, would sit on the throne of Israel one day. Now, through Joseph, though Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, Mary became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, Though he was not the biological father, he was the legal father, the adoptive father. So the throne would pass through Joseph legally to his firstborn son, which would be Jesus. Through the bloodline, Jesus had a right to the throne because he's of Mary, who was of the line of David. And so God uh, sovereignly brought together this woman and this man uh, and, and brought Jesus into that home through Mary. Now the second thing we're told here that's that's really an essential doctrine of the Christian faith is that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. I visited a man one time. I was going door to door, knocking on doors, and most of the response to door to door is you get the door closed in your face. That's most of the response. But this man said, come on in. Okay. So I went in and sat down, and we began to talk, and I shared the gospel with him. And he said, yeah, I would believe the Christian thing. I have one problem. I was thinking you have more than one, but if you think it's one, okay. He said, I don't believe in the virgin birth. And I said, well, then you have a problem. You see, Jesus was virgin born. Uh, Joseph was not the biological father. In fact, the Bible says right here, uh, Luke was a physician. He would have knew, he would have known what he was talking about. He would have used the right, the right terminology, parthenos, a, a young lady who's not known a man, or a young woman of marriageable age who's, who's not known a man. And so Luke tells us very clearly that, that she was a virgin. Now, why is it so essential in the Christian faith that, that Mary was a virgin, just as the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit came upon her and she became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit? Let me give you some reasons why that's important. Number one is the fulfillment of prophecy. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah said this in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That had a contemporary application for Isaiah in his day. But God, the Holy Spirit, had Isaiah write it and pointed toward the Messiah, Emmanuel, the one God with us. So even Isaiah, 700 years before Christ was born, prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Mary is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Number two. Every human being who's come into the world through the natural process of conception, 
father and a mother biologically has inherited Adam's sin nature. It's passed down from one generation to the next. In fact, I know there are atheistic scientists who disagree with this truth, but it doesn't change the truth nonetheless. Every human being on this planet came from Adam, without exception. You are not the origin of a biological accident or some chemistry experiment that went awry and you know, a lightning bolt hit at the right time and a single cell amoeba took shape and poof, later we have human beings. That's about as preposterous a thing as you could ever think of. But the point is Adam is the federal head, if you will, of the human race. He was the first human being created by God. And when, and when he had children through Eve, he passed his sin nature down to them and they passed it to their children and they passed it to their children. And when we have children in our home, we pass our sin, sinful, rebellious nature to them. Now, if we're all honest, we all think our children are little angels. There's a little devil in there, too, isn't there? And they got that little bit of devil from us because it's human nature. It's, we are rebellious against God, and we have a sin nature. And so Jesus, to be our sacrifice to be our savior cannot be born with a sin nature he wouldn't come into the world that way in other words we needed a savior who was sinless who was perfect so he could take our place on the cross so it was essential that mary be a virgin that that jesus come into into humanity as both god and man he he had a human nature but without the sin component jesus lived a sinless life here the only human being to ever do that. Jesus, by the way, is the model of what humanity should be. He was a sinless, obedient one to the Father. And so it was essential that Mary be a virgin. Number three, when couples get married and they have a baby biologically, a new human being is created. From the moment of conception, God creates a new life, a soul. And by the way, from the moment of conception, that baby, no matter what stage of development in the womb, is a human being. It's a person with a soul. And to, and to kill that baby at any step in the process is murder. Now, and again, I know, I know people make excuses for their sin and for their, and for their own willful rebellion against God. But it was the creation of a new life when there's conception. Jesus wasn't the creation of a new life. Jesus has lived forever. He's eternal. All he did was go from being in heaven to coming in, into human form and taking on human flesh to live here among us so he could die for us. So the biological process of creating a new human being wouldn't work for Christ because he already existed. All he did was lay aside his glory in heaven and humble himself and veil himself in flesh and come here to live among us, to walk among us, to be like us so he could die for us and give us his eternal life. So it's important, it's absolutely essential that, that Mary was a virgin. I read a thing this week when I was uh, doing some reading, and, and this one man said, well, you know, you don't have to believe what the church says. Well, you don't have to believe what the church says about Mary's virginity, but you better believe what the Bible says about it, because God declared the essential nature of it. And so this woman, this young lady, Mary, was quite unique, wasn't she? A young lady betrothed to be married a woman who knew God. She was, she was a, a saved young lady who, who believed God. She was 
pure in her lifestyle, chosen by God to be the vessel through whom the Savior would come into the world. Now, when Gabriel shows up, he gives her a message. Look at verse 28. Here's his message to Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Verse 30, then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I shared last week when we talked about Zacharias and Gabriel showing up. Zacharias was burning incense uh, in the holy place, and Gabriel shows up. Don't you wonder, the Bible doesn't satisfy our curiosity, but don't you wonder in that moment uh, what a shock that must be to be going about your business, doing whatever you're doing, and an angel suddenly made a visible. uh, And these angels now, Gabriel not being uh, any different, Gabriel said to Zacharias last week, I stand in the presence of God. That means he has the glory of God all over him. So when he shows up, he don't look normal is what I'm saying. When he shows up, he's radiant. When he shows up, he's got the glory of God on him. When he shows up, there's majesty and glory in the presence of God because he's been in the presence of God. And so when this guy shows up, this angel shows up to Mary, we're not told what Mary was doing. We don't know what she was doing. Maybe she was doing the laundry. I don't know. Maybe she was cooking dinner. We don't know what she was doing. Maybe she was in her prayer time, which we kind of would think would be more beautiful, wouldn't it? She's in her prayer time, and Gabriel shows up to give her this message. Now, one of the things that strikes me about this passage, and every, you know, as a pastor, you preach these passages every year, and I'm never, I never lose the wonder of this. Gabriel seems happy to be there. You notice that? I mean, Gabriel's happy to be there. Gabriel's got, he's got good news. And he shows up and says, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. He's excited to deliver the message. He said last week to to Zacharias, I stand in the presence of God. And God told me to come give you this message. And I'm here. God did the same thing about Mary. Gabriel's in heaven. And God said, I had a message. I want you to take it to Mary. And I want you to share it with her. And he's happy to do it. In 1 Peter 1 In verse 12, Peter tells us that the angels look in awe upon the plan of salvation. They look in awe upon God's grace on sinful man. And you can only imagine as as they look on at what God's doing and they see God's plan. And as Jesus prepares to leave heaven and lay aside his glory and take on flesh, they're amazed. God said, Gabriel, go tell that young lady what's about to happen. And he's excited. He comes and he's excited to share with her. How sad that human beings aren't more excited. What do you think? How sad that we aren't more excited about the marvelous grace of God. How sad that we aren't more excited about God's love for us and what he's done for us. How sad that most of the world rejects God's love and grace. How sad. 
that of all of God's created beings, we exercise our will to reject him. Gabriel was excited. Now he addresses her as having been much grace. He said, highly favored one. In other words, he addresses her as one who has received much grace of God. And I thought that certainly is true of Mary. God chose her for a very special thing. But I want you to understand something this morning. If you're saved, you are highly graced of God. No less than she. You've been highly graced of God if you're saved because God broke into your life and he saved your soul. He drew you to saving faith and he put you in his family. He forgave your sin, gave you eternal life. And the Bible said he has blessed you with things in heaven that you can't even begin to perceive or conceive of. You are highly graced of God. He shows up to Mary and says, you have been wonderfully blessed of God. Now let me say something about Mary. Mary was a very special woman, chosen for a very special purpose. No doubt a godly woman, and the more we see about her life in the Gospels, she understood. But you understand that Mary was a woman who needed a Savior just like you and me. And Jesus would save her soul. Her son would go to the cross and die to save his own mother and to save the rest of the world. What I'm saying is Mary should be honored for what God called her to do, but not exalted to a place of deity and not exalted to a place where you pray to her because she's just like you and me. When you get to heaven one day, you can talk to her, okay? And you can fellowship with her. She should be honored, but not unduly exalted. Now, it says here that Mary was troubled. Remember last week that Zacharias, when the angel Gabriel told him he was going to have a child, he doubted. It was a momentary lack of faith. He couldn't, he couldn't get past all the things in life that would hinder that. We're old. We're past the years of having a child. My wife's been barren her whole life. And now you're saying we're going to have a child. And because of his doubt, Gabriel said, well, until the baby's born, you're going to be mute now. You're not going to be able to speak. Uh, and, and that'll be judgment and a sign that, that what I'm telling you is going to happen. Mary had no such doubt here. It just said that she was troubled. It wasn't a lack of faith. I believe from Mary's case, and, and we see it by Gabriel's reaction, he wasn't angry with her or, or judgmental like he was with Zacharias. I believe because of her humble, pious nature, she began to ponder how could these things be. That's, that was what it means here. She began to, she, I think she understood right away with an angel showing up, every young lady in Israel wanted to be the mother of the Messiah. And I think being a, a young woman of faith, she understood completely that God was about to use her to do a great thing, and it overwhelmed her. It troubled her. How, would God, how could God call me to do such a thing or to be such a thing? Have you ever experienced that in your life? God calls you to a ministry or calls you to serve in a place, and you think, God, why would you ask me to do that? Maybe we could all say that about being saved, could we not? God, why would you save a person like me? Why would you save someone like me? Not troubled as in questioning, but disturbed as in God. Why would you do that for me? Mary said, Lord, why would you pick one like me? Think of her humble status. She's a poor woman. She lives in Nazareth, about as far away from the mainstream of society as you can get. 
She's about to marry a man who's poor. They have nothing. Maybe her thoughts of late had been centered around, how are we going to live? Where are we going to live? How are we going to feed ourselves? So Gabriel shows up and says, oh, God has great plans for you. God has chosen you. You're a particularly blessed young lady. And she's troubled at, at how God would pick someone like her, unexpected, unearned, undeserved, and yet the grace of God. All that God does for us is unearned. All that God does for us is, is not merited. It's all grace. And so she pondered these things. Now the message is wonderful. Mary, you will conceive and bear a son. You will conceive and bear a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus. The characteristics of this one that will be born. Notice what he says. First, he says he will be great. Megos. He will be great. Men like to boast themselves to be great, don't they? People like to boast themselves. Nations like to boast as being great. World leaders like to boast as being great. We have a saying among the sports world, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Let me tell you, Jesus is the greatest of all time. And there's no, there's no close second in anything. Gabriel said he's going to be great. And the idea is he's going to be great like nobody else has ever been great. He's going to be great in a way the world has never seen. You see, Jesus came the first time humbly, his first advent, his birth that we celebrate this time of the year. He came humbly with the express purpose of being the sacrifice for our sin. He humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, lived essentially in poverty in this life with nowhere to lay his head, preached the gospel, ministered to people, and then died on a cross for crimes that he wasn't guilty of, for sin that wasn't his, rose again the third day in victory over death and sin in the grave and ascended back to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father today. And for the last couple thousand years, he's been engaged in saving lost people in every generation all over the world building his church, his bride. The world's not seen the express greatness of Jesus yet. We saw it in his death on the cross and that he would die for our sin. We saw it in his humility. We have it recorded in the scripture and in the pages of history. But the greatness, the other part of the greatness that Gabriel's talking about here, the world hadn't seen yet, but they will. You see, one day he's coming back. All the stuff we see in the world now, he's going to put an end to it. All the nonsense in the school systems with our children, all the nonsense of the governments of the world, world leaders who think they're so smart. Uh, the one who really is great is coming back. Amen. 
The Bible says when he comes back, at the end of the tribulation, it's going to be as king of kings and lord of lords. And it says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. When I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking people have a choice today that they need to exercise that they won't have when, it, when that time comes. You can bow today and you can confess today and receive him, receive him as Savior and enjoy his mercy. Or you cannot and you can wait and then face him when he's the judge and then there'll be no opportunity for mercy then. I don't know how to say strong enough that if you're not saved, watch it online, or you're here, and you've never been born again by faith in Christ, you make a terrible mistake to reject Jesus now, and it'll cost you your soul forever. So don't do that. But he's coming back in all of his greatness, and the world will see him. The Bible says when he comes back, every eye will see him in his glory and who he is. And Gabriel says here that he'll be the son of the Most High. Now Gabriel was reminding Mary and reminding us of the deity of Christ, that he is the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that he'll come and he'll be the son of the Most High, not only in his deity, but in his walk on this earth. And then Gabriel reminded her that he will sit on the throne of his father, David. When Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom and the millennial reign and his power and his glory, he will fulfill all the covenants of the Old Testament to Israel. He'll fulfill the Abrahamic covenant and, and giving them all the land and all the, all the area and all the territory that God promised Abraham. And the nation will be what God promised Abraham it would be. And then the Davidic covenant. Remember, David wanted to build God a a, a, a temple and God said no you can't I'll let Solomon do that but I see your heart that you want to and God said how about this I'll build you a house and so God will fulfill Jesus will fulfill the promise to David and, and Jesus will sit on the throne of Israel forever and then finally that exact statement Gabriel points out that the reign of Jesus will be forever and ever and ever it will never end I like history, and most of you know that, and Alexander Great was probably one of the greatest military leaders of all generations. If you study his techniques and what he did, I will kind of bust a bubble for you a little bit. Alexander the Great did what he did because God was with him because it was part of fulfillment of prophecy. Nonetheless, God used him to do it. But, you know, in all of his greatness in defeating the Persian Empire, Alexander the Great died when he was 32 years old. His kingdom wasn't forever. It lasted 32 years. And then Julius Caesar, the guy that really was credited historically with founding the Roman Empire when it was a, a dictatorship transitioning to a republic, if you will, uh, of course, he established this mighty empire that lasted nearly a thousand years, and he was killed by his own friends, so his kingdom didn't last forever, did it? And then maybe in a more contemporary setting, Adolf Hitler boasted 
in the 19th century that he would build a third Reich that would last a thousand years, the third reign, the third kingdom. Eh, not so much. He died at his own hands as the Allied forces closed in on him. What I'm saying is all the great leaders of the world, all the great people in history, even Genghis Khan, if you want to go way back, who, who was single-handedly responsible for probably killing a third of the world's population at the time, those men all died. No matter how great they were, no matter how, how achieved they were in their kingdoms, not Jesus. When he comes and he sits on the throne, there will be no end to that kingdom. It will be forever. Nobody will succeed him. Listen to what Isaiah said 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this part. Of the increase of his government and peace, which I like, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. That's his kingdom. And that's the kingdom that will last forever. You see, dear ones, you need to pick a side. Just as you need to bow now rather than later, there's a kingdom coming. And you can't stop it. Nobody can. Satan's tried, and he continues to try, but he can't. The kingdom of Christ is coming. Are you going to be in it? Are you going to be in the kingdom or an outcast? You say, I want to be in the kingdom. The only way is Jesus. The only way in is Jesus. You have, to, you have to trust him by faith. Confess your sin. Ask him to forgive you. Receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. And you're in the kingdom. If you're here and you're saved today, you're in the kingdom. You're a citizen of the kingdom. In fact, the Bible says your citizenship is no longer in this world. It's in heaven. It's in the kingdom of Christ. The Bible says we're just strangers passing through on a journey here. Are you in the kingdom or not? You say, I, I don't want all that stuff. And I've had people tell me, I don't want what you're telling me. I don't want what you're sharing. One lady said, I don't need it. And she closed the door in my face. Try not to be ugly when that happens. But I walked away muttering to myself. I thought, you really need it and you just don't know it. I'm telling you today, if you're not saved... You're not in the kingdom. And if Jesus comes back, you're going to find yourself on the outside looking in. Don't do that. Fair warning today, right? Fair opportunity. Come to Christ today. Let me show you the last thing, marriage response. Look at verses 34 and 35. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing, that holy one who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Again, this is not a, Mary's not doubting what Gabriel's saying to her. She's simply confirming what the Bible declares about her virginity. She said, this is a wonderful plan. And later you'll see, she says, I'm all in, God. Whatever your will for me is, I'll do it. But she legitimately asked Gabriel, how can this be? I'm not married. How can this be? Because I've never known a man. 
Good question. Her own testimony declaring her condition that she's not known a man. Gabriel said, that's not a problem for God. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The power of God will come upon you, and you will be pregnant by the power of God. Now listen, she's the only woman that's ever happened to in human history. And God did that to bring his son into the world. Let me close with this. God in, the, in Scripture and through his prophets and through his word has been completely transparent with the world about what he was going to do and what he did. And God is completely transparent with the world likewise in what he is going to do future. Everything God said that he was going to do to this point, he's done. Everything that he declares in the Bible has happened. We can see that it happened. You have to know that the rest of the book is true. So I would implore you today, trust in this Savior who left heaven and came here and died for you on the cross. Trust him. The birth of Jesus Christ is a great celebration at Christmas time. The birth of Jesus Christ is, is really the foundation of our faith. He came here to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. But it is imperative that you avail yourself of God's offer, that you don't let it just pass you by. So as we close this morning and we celebrate the birth of Christ, our Savior, I want to implore you as I pray, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, would you pray to receive him now? Would you ask him, God, forgive my sin and save me? Lord Jesus, I believe you came here and you died for me on the cross. Save my soul. Forgive my sin. God wants to save you today. He's not going to force you. He's not going to twist your arm. But he's pleading with you. Would you come today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, for the birth of your son, for giving us the details and what happened. Thank you, God, for sending the angel Gabriel to talk to Mary and let her know your plan for her life and for the world. Now, Father, there may be somebody here today, Lord, and they are right now locked in a spiritual battle of being saved or not being saved. And Lord, they're struggling and they're questions. Lord, I pray for them right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just draw them in a mighty way. And God, may they just cast all those concerns aside and put their faith in Jesus today. Lord, may they just pray, God, I know I'm lost and I don't want to be lost. God, I want to be in the kingdom. I want to belong to you. I want to be, I want to be part of your family. God, forgive my sin and save me right now. God, you'll save all who call. We thank you in Jesus' name. As we stand and sing, I'm going to be right down here. If I can pray with you or answer any questions or help you, you come on the first verse this morning. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I
being here this morning. Uh, enjoy so much the children singing, and if you brought your children today and let them participate in that, thank you so much for that. Uh, we're going to pray and go tonight, Awana. It's uh, 6 p.m. in here. We're in a series on Sunday nights on the Christian life. Last week we talked about the difference between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. Tonight we're going to talk about our responsibility to serve God with our spiritual gifts. So I want to encourage you to come back and uh, spend about 30 minutes with us studying that together, okay? Anything else? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time of the year as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Lord, how exciting and wonderful it is this time of the year, Lord. But uh, may, we, may we ponder, Lord, and understand uh, the gravity of what you did for us in sending your Son. And uh, Lord, again, may you work in the heart of those who need to be saved. Draw them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>